Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. You can turn uh, to John 20. John 20. Now we're starting a new series this week called Lord Build Your Church. Confident that Jesus will fulfill his promise to us locally and globally. If you've been coming to our church for a while, you know we've been going through the book of Philippians. And we're going to go back to that in the new year. We're just going to take six weeks. And what we're going to do in these six weeks is just look at the things we're committed to as a church. And as you walked in, you probably see those banners there. Those, those are the five things sort of that define us. Prayer, preaching, worship, relationship, evangelism, these things. And also this commitment to doing the mission that God has given to us. And what we believe is that if, as, as we commit to these things, we're praying that as we do them together, that God will work through this to build his church. And the message title this week is, Lord, build your church through our commitment to the mission. To our commitment to the mission. Now, all of us go through life expecting certain things. You may not feel it all the time, but we all have expectations. When you walk into a restaurant that you are about to give money to eat, you expect good service. When you get into that car with your Uber driver and you say to them, I would like to go to church, if they took you to Popeye's, that would be a problem. We expect that if I'm asking you and I'm, rendering, I'm doing something, that you're going to take me over here. That is what I've asked. Employee, employers expect employees to show up on time. Right? We all have expectations. And just like we do, so does Jesus Christ when it comes to his disciples. There are certain things that he expects from us. And one of the things he expects is Jesus expects his disciples to make more disciples. Jesus expects his disciples to make more disciples. And this is something we're committed to as a church. Here's our mission statement. It says, Hope Church Toronto North exists to glorify God by fulfilling the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment in the city of Toronto and around the world. We're committed to this. We want to have the people who call this home, our members, to be engaged in making disciples as an act of love for God and as an act of love for other people. This is the way we glorify God with our lives. And Jesus, because he wants us doing this, he tells us two really important things in order to motivate us into this Work And we're going to see in this short passage, we're going to learn a lot about ourselves and we're going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so here's the first thing that Jesus tells us. He tells us we have peace with God. He tells us that we have peace with God. Verse 19 says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, 
The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So the disciples are all gathered together. But they're not gathered together because they're celebrating the birth of a child or they're there for a party. They're gathered together because they're full of fear. That's why they've come together in this room. It says, it says that they're gathered, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Now, this is understandable. Right, All John, in his gospel, he's walking through the life and the ministry of Jesus. And what they have just recently witnessed, when you read through the gospel of John, is that Jesus was just killed. And so they're like, the guy that we're following has just been hung on a cross. He has been murdered. And so they're full of fear because they're probably thinking it wouldn't be hard for one of them to pick off one of us. And so they're full of fear. And so it's understandable. And in their fear, Jesus comes to them. Through this miracle, he ends, he walks in. They don't know how Jesus gets in. He just walks in through a miracle. And he comes in and he says, peace be with you. That's the thing about Jesus. He comes in the middle of your hard time. He walks in, they're full of fear. And he says, peace be with you. See, they're full of fear, but their life is full of peace. And they've forgotten that. And he says, peace be with you be with you. They have peace in their life because they have trusted in Jesus Christ. It's because of Christ that they have this peace. And so because they've trusted in Christ, they now have peace between them and God. See, biblical peace, here's a really important thing. Biblical peace does not mean everything in your life is always peaceful. Amen? I want you guys to talk to me. Biblical peace does not mean all the things in your life are always peaceful. Biblical peace means that you have peace with God. And that is the most important thing in our lives. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, this broken relationship has been fully restored. We have peace with God, and the wounds on his body are proof of that. Look at verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The scars are the marks of the suffering of Jesus, but they're also the mark of his victory. These are the wounds that have brought us peace. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Say it. Peace. peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Healed all because of Jesus Christ. And we have this peace in our life because of the ways in which he has healed us. Here are a few ways. There's going to be lots of stuff on the screen. I just want to get you guys prepared for that. But here are a few ways that Jesus, the wounds of them have healed us. He, his wounds have healed us spiritually. We are given a new heart with new desires. We want to do the things that God has told us to do. And we can do them. He has healed our heart. He has healed us 
Legally, we have, been, we have complete forgiveness and a restored relationship with God the Father. Past sins and future sins. Some people need to hear that and believe it. Because some of us, we get stuck in this spot. We're like, has God forgiven me? Am I in a good spot with God? Is the things that I've done in my past, is he like, is that over? Yes. Fully and completely. And we do this back and forth sort of thing. Am I good with God? Am I in a bad spot with God? And we dance back and forth, dance back and forth, wondering all the while not living the life that God has empowered us to live. Because we keep worrying about what he thinks about us. And he's like, I love you. I've forgiven you. You're in a good spot. And we get so hard on ourselves. And the word to you is stop beating yourself up. Start living and walking in the things that God says that we can do. So spiritually, legally, emotionally. We've been healed emotionally. We have access to God through prayer. And so we can overcome moments of fear, stress, and anxiety. We don't have to walk through our life being ruled by our emotions. And being ruled by our feelings. We walk through life and the moment I get scared, the moment I get stressful, stressed out, the moment I'm like wondering what's going to happen, I fall on my knees and I say, God, I'm terrified right now. God, my life is hard right now. I'm stressed out right now. And I, this feeling, it's just, it's just hindering me. It's got me stuck in this spot. And so I'm praying and I'm asking you to remove the fear. I'm asking you to remove the stress and the anxiety. I'm asking you to cause your church to come around me and support me. We don't have to be just ruled by our emotions and live in fear and stress because Jesus, through his life, has given us this access to God where we can have the help that we need. And then physically, we're promised new bodies. Pain and sickness will be gone. That is a true reality that we get to look forward to, and to the non-Christian in the room. This healing, this peace, you can have it. And so when you look at your life and you're like, I'm, I'm, I know there's a brokenness. I feel this chaos. I keep going back to these bad habits and everything like that. And I know I'm just simply harming myself over and over and over. And you wonder, how can I break out of this pattern? How can I get this peace in my life that I know I need and I long for? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. He will come in. It's an act of faith. The same way you're sitting on those chairs. Do you know sitting on these chairs is an act of faith? You don't know if they're going to break. You don't know if I like took some screws out before you came in. You don't know that. But you're like, the people here seem nice. And so you sit down. It's the same way. It's an act of faith. That's how you receive the healing and peace, by trusting in Jesus Christ, believing the gospel, that God created us, and that we sinned against God. But in his grace, he sent his son to live and die for us and rise from the grave to show that sin is paid for. Believing that reality. And you can be saved. You can have the peace of God in your life. Jesus comes and declares his peace. And it says in verse 20 that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. In the presence of Jesus, all fear is gone. In the presence of Jesus, what you have now is joy instead of sorrow. They rejoiced at the proof that he was alive. And what Jesus is doing right here by coming to them is fulfilling his promise to them. Do you know that? In coming to them, Jesus actually fulfills his promise. He says, 
he was going to do this. In John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. It says, you will see me. And my peace, I will give to you. The thing that Jesus told them in chapter 14, he does in chapter 20. And that tells us we as people can trust the promises of Jesus Christ. One of the ways Satan will work in your life is to get you to doubt what God has said. And the moment he gets you doubting, the moment he gets you trusting in yourself, you are on your way to doing something ridiculous that you're going to regret. And so he tries to get us to doubt the promises of God, but we are not to doubt the promises of God. The things that Jesus says he will do, he will do it. He will keep his word to us. And here's an amazing promise that Jesus makes to us. John 14 says, do not be worried. Again, there's this reminder from Christ. Do not be worried. Have faith in God. Have faith in me. There are many rooms in my father's house. I wouldn't tell you this unless it was true. He says, I wouldn't say this if it wasn't true. In my father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for each of you. Think about what that verse just said. So Jesus comes, serves us, dies in our place, rises from the grave, goes to heaven, and what does he do? Keeps serving. And when he comes back to take us, what's he going to do? Keep serving us. This is Jesus. And you think about it, the level of selfishness sometimes in our life. Like, it's hard for me to serve other people. Think about Jesus. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. After I've done this, I will come back and take you with me. Then we will be together. That is a promise that he has made to us. Just like the disciples, one day we are going to see Jesus Christ face to face. And on that day, we are going to be glad. We are going to be glad. Sam in the Lord of the Rings, he looks at Gandalf and he says, Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? For the Christian, the answer is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue because when Jesus comes back, he is going to make all things right. He promises to restore everything. I am hoping that I will get hair. All things will be made right when he comes back. When we see him face to face, we are going to enter into peace that is unending. Do you understand that? Heaven is a place of love. Heaven is a place of peace. And it's going to be peace unending. You've got to know as a Christian that the future in front of you is beautiful. The future in front of you is full of Hope, And in those moments where you feel that despair creeping on just a little bit, don't forget that you have hope because of Jesus Christ who is alive. Disciples have peace, but that peace is not meant to stop with them. It's to spread to others. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing he tells us. You can write this down. We are sent by God. 
We have peace with God, but then we're also sent by God. Disciples of Christ are sent ones. That's a part of our identity. Jesus, again, says, peace be with you. He says this because he's, he's reminding them of their reality in the gospel. He wants the gospel to motivate and fuel everything that they do. When it comes to us fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given us, the gospel has to be the wind in our sails. If the gospel isn't motivating us, we'll fail. If the gospel isn't motivating us, we will give up. And so the thing that should drive us is our standing with God. Because when we go out to try to spread and share the good news, we've been, we learned about this last week, we are going to face opposition. And in those moments when opposition comes up, if you don't understand how much you are loved by God, how much he's deeply committed to you, you will give up. And so we are to be motivated by the gospel. And so he says in verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Notice Jesus did not say, as the Father has sent me, so I'm asking if you'd like to go. There's no like back and forth dialogue, you know? Like sometimes I get in that with my boys. I'm like, why are we talking? And we start to wonder, like, who's in control of this relationship? Jesus is like, I am in full control. I am the one who is in authority. I'm not asking you if you'd like to do this. I am telling you, you need to do this. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. Again, we live in such a culture that we struggle with authority, right? Why do you think you're mad at your boss all the time? It's because you know that in this relationship, there's, a little, there's some authority here. And that's hard for us because of the sin in our flesh. And so when somebody says, you need to do that, we're like, I don't want to do that. You know, adults, we look at kids, we're like, oh, kids struggle with authority. I don't. Yes, you do. Kim says it to me all the time. She's like, you struggle with authority. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> Let's pray. But we struggle. But Jesus says, I'm in authority. As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. Disciples are drawn into the unity and mission of the Father and the Son. Jesus expects us out, scattering and watering the seed of the gospel, trusting that as we do that, God will give the growth. That is what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus willingly comes to us and he wants us willingly Willingly going to others. And because I always want our, our messages to be very practical, here are some ways we can do this. Because the mission is for everyone. Here are some ways we can practically, practically participate in the mission. Pay attention to signals people are giving you to let you know they want to hear about your faith. My mic's falling off. Hang on. Sorry. Sometimes the people in our life are giving us signals. You know, you're talking to that person at the store and they just, they just seem like they're asking lots of questions and they're, they're getting a sense that you're a Christian, but they're not sort of like backing off of you or anything like that. Sometimes that's a signal. The person is open and be willing to share. Build and maintain friendships with non-Christians. I was at the barbershop this week with my boys and I'm sitting in this room and I'm just like, I'm the only Christian in here. And I've become friends with the guys there. And I realized, like, almost the entire week in my life, I'm with Christians. I rarely 
But I'm sitting in this room and I'm watching these guys dialogue back and forth and they're talking to me. And you know what I start to realize? They have real struggles. They have real pain. They have real things going on in their life. And I'm, I'm feeling this like desire. I need to spend more time with these guys. Get to know them. See that there are people going through real things, struggling in life. And so we are not to huddle into our little safe Christian zone. My mom said amen. Everybody say amen. We are to be active and out there, building friendships, practicing hospitality, inviting them into things that you're doing with your family and friends. Let them see that we lead normal lives. When we moved into our house in Mississauga, our neighbors, the first thing they said was like, do your kids watch TV? I was like, what do you mean? We got like six TVs in there. We love TV. But they thought because we were Christians, we didn't watch TV. Well, I don't know if they thought that, but they just, <laughs> right? So they, but, but we needed to just sort of like see that they needed to see us as normal people. Sometimes the, the unbelievers around you, they don't think you're normal. And in one sense, you're not. But in another sense, we live real normal lives. And we need to and draw them in and build those relationships and watch how God will use that to give us opportunities to share our faith. Fast and pray about going with the gospel to where there's an unreached people group. God might be calling you to do something radical, if I can use that word. Do you know that there's an unreached people group in Quebec? A friend of mine is there right now. He's trying hard to plant and start a church, and he's like, it's the hardest work. The people are so resistive. They're not open. Right in our own country, we can go to an unreached group of people. So pray and fast. Maybe God's calling you to, the, to do that. Support missionaries who are serving locally and globally. Give to their ministries. Pick a regular day to pray for them. Get on their update list and actually respond to them when the emails come in. Um, I heard a missionary say one time, one person responded to my email update this week and it was so nice. I was like, oh, because they're just out there on their own. They're like, does anybody care? Is anybody going to even respond to this? Is anybody seeing the way God is working and the way I'm praying? Is anybody praying with me? Just click, you know, praying for you. And then actually pray, right? We talk about that. Don't be those Christians who are like, I'm praying for you, but you're lying. You're saying that to end the conversation. Pray for the person at that moment. Actually respond, write to them, seek to encourage them. Be confident that the mission is actually going to get done. Jesus says, I will build my church. Be confident it's going to get done. Disciple and help new believers to mature in Christ. This mentorship, we are to do these things as we mentor and help another person in Christ, teaching them to do that thing for somebody else. We can actively engage. The mission is for everyone. That's the reality. It just looks different for everyone. But the mission is for everyone. And so just think, the season of life you're in, the way God has gifted you, the temperament that you have, and ask him, how can I engage at this stage in my life? Jesus makes a statement in verse 21, and I don't want us to miss it. He says, as the Father has sent me. That actually tells us a lot about God. See, we had a problem. We are the ones who walked away from God, but God goes about solving our problem. 
We turned our backs on God, but God didn't turn his back on us. He turned his face towards us and sent his son to live and to die in our place. This statement, what it does is teaches us that God is thoughtful, teaches us that God is intentional. It teaches us that God is compassionate and full of mercy. And now as his children, this is how we're supposed to be. As we go looking for how to fulfill the Great Commission, how we can do this, we are to be thoughtful. Sometimes the reason why our gospel sharing doesn't work is because we're ignorant. And I don't say that to be disrespectful. I've seen it in my own life. We're just not thoughtful. We don't look at the person in front of us and see a human being. See somebody made in the image of God. See somebody struggling with the trials and difficulties of life. Sometimes we look at that person and we see somebody who we have to defeat in an argument. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to introduce people to the Savior of the world. That's what Jesus has told us to do, to go and share the gospel, being intentional, compassionate, and merciful to the people that we are speaking to. See, Jesus does not want his disciples hold up in fear. He wants them out spreading his peace. And the great thing about Jesus is he does not call us to do something that he doesn't equip us for. Jesus will never call you to do something in your life and then not give you all that you need to do it. Look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now this verse has made people wonder, did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit twice? So in, in, the, in the history of the church, people have looked at this and they're like, did this happen? Did it happen twice? Did the Holy Spirit come here and then again at Pentecost? Andreas Kostenberger is really helpful with this. He says, the present reference represents a symbolic promise to the soon-to-be-given gift of the Spirit, not the actual giving 50 days later at Pentecost. Otherwise, it's hard to see how John would not be found to stand in actual conflict with Luke's Pentecost narrative in Acts 2, not to mention his own disclaimer earlier in the narrative that the Spirit would be given only subsequent to Jesus' glorification, which entailed his return to the Father. So it's a symbolic thing happening here. And so Jesus goes to the Father, and then he sends the Holy Spirit to us. The Holy Spirit has come to help and empower the church for the mission that we have been given. We cannot do the work of God without God. I'll say that again so you can say amen. We cannot do the work of God without God. And God is with us. The Holy Spirit, is. his presence is here and he gives us the power and ability to do the things that God has said. Here are the ways the Holy Spirit empowers us and works to help us fulfill the mission. He empowers us to share the gospel. In Acts 2, you see that. The Spirit is empowering Peter. When you read through Acts, what you will find is that every time somebody is sharing their faith, you'll see it before. They were filled with the Spirit, and then they did it. They were filled with the Spirit, and then they did it. Full of the Spirit, then they did it. It's always a Spirit-empowered doing. He provides words to say before others in defense of Christ. Sometimes we're like, I don't want to share my faith because, well, I don't know if the person says something and I get confused. Don't worry. 
The Bible says the Spirit is going to give you all that you need in that moment as you depend on Him. He gives spiritual understanding to open eyes to the truth of the gospel. See, we're not responsible for the results in the mission. It's not on us to open the eyes of people. We are simply called to be faithful in the going out and in the doing of it. He convicts unbelievers concerning sin. That's important. Because sometimes we try to convict people. And that's wrong. We are not the Holy Spirit in people's lives. We are not to stand in a self-righteous, judgmental way over anyone. Our job is to simply say, here's what the Bible says is true. Here's what the Bible says that you need. And I need it just as much as you. And so we allow the Spirit to do its, His work in the ways He wants. It's not on us to convict people. He promises a reward to those who suffer for the sake of Christ. I promise you that when you, we commit to doing the, the, the mission Jesus has given us, you are going to suffer. Amen. That's just a true reality. People are going to be mad at you. People are going to walk away from you. Those things are going to happen. And again, I talked about this last week. In some parts of the world, people are being thrown into jail. But notice that the Bible says that there is a great reward coming to us. Again, our future is bright. And so we are faithful because there is a reward. There's another set of, here they are. He gives specific callings from ministry and mission and missions. Jesus is going to call specific, the Spirit's going to call people in specific ways to, to specific areas that are, just, that are just right for you. He appoints leaders in the church. You're like, how is that a part of the mission? Because you need elders, you need deacons. to. When people get saved, somebody has to look after them. The flock of God needs to be cared for and actually help and equip. The church is responsible. Do you know that? Responsible to equip and send people. And so God appoints elders and deacons so that they can care for people. And I just want you to say, we have elders and we want deacons. And so one of the ways you can love our church is by praying for God to raise up more elders and more deacons so that we can look after people spiritually and practically. We want to do that. And the Spirit gives those leaders for that reason. He guides and directs us when we go out spreading the gospel. Sometimes you think, I'm going to be going over here. And the Spirit of God's like, nope, you're going right here. This is way harder. And this is what you need. You'll see, again, Acts 16, you read this. They want to go this way. And the Spirit's like, nope, you're going this way because this is where you're going to be the most effective and the most useful. He distributes gifts from ministry to build up the body of Christ. Also important. That means we should not envy other people for their gifts. Sometimes I'm standing right there and I'm watching that guy sing and you know what's going on? I'm like, I wish I could sing like that. And then I start trying and I hear myself and I stop. But in that moment, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm looking at the way God has gifted Shayon and I'm, I'm grateful for him. And I'm longing for his gift. And God's like, I've given you a thing. And so you should trust me and use your gifts in the ways that I have given it to you. And here's the other thing. If you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. Do you know that? And all of us have like, you know, I can have the gift of preaching and somebody else can have it and everything like that. But it is unique to you. And the body of Christ needs it. I said this a few weeks ago. If this is your home church and you're not participating in the body life here, you need to start. 
Because you have a gift, and without it, our body is actually suffering. We need your gift. It's unique to you. And so you step in, and you're like, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Same application. Start doing something. That is the way you find out. I found out that I had the gift of preaching because when I was on staff in Harvest Oakville, they said, you are going to teach in Harvest Kids on Saturday nights every night for the rest of the year. I'm like, this is suffering. And it just going through, and I'm not saying like, hey, look at me. I'm saying I wasn't doing anything. And they challenged me and saying, it's time for you to start. And then just watch for how the church and the spirit of God will affirm that gift in your life. You don't have no idea how God wants to use you. And so it's, all you need to do is take an act, a step of faith and trust. As I do this, God is going to sort out the details and he will. We don't envy anybody's gift. We all have a gift that is unique to us. And so we step in and just start using it. He comforts us in our suffering and strengthens us in moments of weakness. Again, our life, we live in a world that is broken. We are going to suffer. We are going to struggle. We are going to feel weak. But again, we are never, never without the Spirit's help. The Holy Spirit is vital to our lives, and for the ministry that God has called us to have to the world. We are to regularly thank God that he has given us the Spirit. Because without him, we cannot do what Jesus expects us to do. And he expects his disciples to make more disciples. That is the reality for all of us. When you signed up to follow Christ, you signed up for the mission. You were saved. And so now you and me, we have peace with God. That is our reality. We are in a place, we're in a good spot with the Lord and nothing can rob us of that peace. And in the midst of that peace, we are to go out spreading the peace. We signed up to do the work. And he has given us the Holy Spirit who we need to depend on in it. Jesus has given us a job to do. He has given us a job to do. And as we engage in it, here's what you gotta understand. It will bless the lives of others. You have no idea who is going to come to Christ as you faithfully participate in what Jesus has said. We do the work. He will bless others and bless us in the midst of it. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your Son, who has won us peace that is unending. God, who has called us and saved us, and now we're in a relationship with you, Lord, where we are forgiven, where we have peace, Lord, where all of us is being renewed, and he has called us also to go and spread that peace to others. And I pray, Father, that as a church, as we commit, commit to doing the mission, however it looks, Lord, you know every person's life. You know individually where they are and what they can do. And I pray by the power of your spirit that you would show them and make it clear so that other people could experience your peace, Lord. This is your heart. And so we thank you that we have the Spirit of God living in us 
who is with us until the work is done. And so I pray that you'd help us to depend on him. I pray this week you would give us unique courage as a church, both to love someone engaged in the mission and to boldly share our faith with someone, trusting you, Lord God, for the results. I pray you'd help us to believe, oh God, believe that you are gonna care for us as we do this. And I pray, Lord, for those who are not in Christ, that they would see their need for peace with you and they would trust in your son and turn to him. Help us, Lord God, in the work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.